The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Hello, I'm joined in the studio not by Jess Kelly, who's taking a willer and rest, but by tech journalist and host of the For Tech's Sake podcast, Elaine Burke. Elaine, good morning and welcome. Lovely to be here. Uh, and you're prepared to take some questions uh, should they come in? Uh, yeah, oh, uh, hopefully I'm as good as Jess is. Oh, eight seven one four hundred one zero six is uh, the number for our WhatsApps. So let's talk first of all about the greatest irony of all. Zoom workers have been called back to the office. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, headline writers having fun with this one, I'd say. Um, it's a story that kind of broke over the weekend that uh, anyone who works for Zoom and lives within 80 kilometres of one of their office spaces is now required in the office at least two days per week. And they're calling this a structured hybrid approach. So they're not completely ruling out work from home. They are obviously a company that helped a lot of companies get to grips with work from home uh, when they couldn't bring people into the office when that was uh, restricted for pandemic reasons and uh, you know it became a household name overnight practically uh, Zoom did uh, they've had their struggles since uh, they had that pandemic rush uh, but they you know they've yeah. dropped in service since then because people have gone back to the office in many cases and, and their share price has uh, plummeted but it's still triple what it was before the it's pandemic it's still a very healthy yeah. company still doing really well by comparison definitely still was buoyed up by uh, the service yeah. improve, or, uh, growing in that period. What is their global workforce? They have over 8,000 8, workers. 8,000 people, okay. Yeah, now they did do cuts as well. That's another thing that they weren't impervious to the uh, the amount of kind of cuts that were happening across the tech scene earlier in the year. They announced uh, a cut of, uh, I think it was 13 to 15% of their workers in February. Um, so less, probably less than 8,000 now, but they were yeah. roughly at 8,000. And they did start hiring in Ireland. They acquired a company uh, headquartered in Cork uh, very recently in April of this year. Um, so my question there would now, with the people working for Workvivo, do they now have uh, a little bit less flexibility on their work from home as well? Yeah. I mean, you wonder what their rationale is. They say this structured hybrid working going forward. Um, I mean, if you're selling Zoom, a lot of them would be salespeople and marketing people and so on. You could do it from home. But perhaps when people, you know, link into you to watch you, perhaps they want a more Zoomy background. I mean, you can impose a background if you wish. Also, you want to make sure that your connectivity is first class because if the people's home connectivity is not great. It's not a good ad for Zoom. There's only so much Zoom can do if your connection is poor. That's the thing. Um, Now, they do try and do things to optimise for your connection. But yeah, they're limited to to what your household uh, and your regional network speeds allow. Um, But yeah, it does call into question, like if this, if even this company can't make fully remote work, uh, like are some companies then justified in demanding uh, people come back to work? But what's interesting is like, I think uh, there's obviously a lot of research now going into hybrid work and working from home. And a common refrain that's coming out of that research is that it's not necessarily that people don't like being in the office or they don't like their colleagues or anything like that. For some of them, it's that they can do a lot of good focused work at home because definitely work from home is preferred for quiet time. Now, I'm sure yeah. that's for people who don't have kids at home and that kind of thing. Um, but that seems to be for focused work. But a really big bugbear for people is commuting. Like that's coming up constantly in surveys across the world uh, for work from home is that commuting is their biggest problem. So maybe just a bit of flexibility with workplaces, even in working hours and stuff like that to maybe lessen the commuting problem would actually be a better way to entice people back in if they do want them back in the office. I mean, many companies in uh, Ireland are uh, talking to people in other jurisdictions, which, um, you know, the working day is at a different time. I mean, if you're talking to... Uh, Eastern Europe, for example, trying to sell into Eastern Europe or the Middle East, they're awake hours before we are. So perhaps people, if they want to come into the office, should be in six o'clock in the morning, get the work done, be home. So you miss the commute. 
Like you, yeah. you miss the, the traffic jams and so on, but you still manage to get to the office. Yeah, you can avoid that rush hour. And actually that whole system of kind of creating a round the clock service is, is a good reason why a lot of companies base uh, operations here in Ireland because our location on we can the... Look west or east. Exactly, on the grid. We're really very well positioned for that 24-hour working cycle and kind of being a bridge between east now, and west. We've heard a lot about AI and it turns out that you might buy a guidebook which has not been put together by a human at all. What's happening? So this is really interesting. I like. I, I assume there is a human behind some of these. They haven't tracked down uh, the source of them. But the New York Times did a really interesting investigation uh, into these scam travel books on Amazon. So it's actually a confluence of technologies have made this possible. So you've got Generative AI, and they are, they are sure it's made by generative AI because they ran passages from these publications through detectors and they got a really high ranking for being likely created by AI. And um, But AI can only use sources that are already there. I mean, it can obviously create, but it's using sources that are already there. So is it literally plagiarising other guidebooks? So because it's, it generates, uh, there's a big question mark there because it doesn't literally take a a copied sentence from uh, an existing blog post or an article on the web that gives you a travel guide but it will kind of try and create a new version of that. So it's it's nearly that uh, thing that maybe a lot of uh, students will be familiar with doing. It's like you take the passage and rewrite it in your own words. That's really what an AI will generate for you. Uh, So the question of plagiarism is a big challenge there when it comes to especially these books being published as well. And even one author, uh, a famous travel author, Rick Steves, uh, seems to have been kind of replicated uh, by one of these authors. So there's a Mick Steves or Mike Steves and uh, he has some biographical details that are suspiciously similar to Rick Steves. So it nearly seems to be trying to deceive people in that way as well, actually kind of impersonate an author. So they, they, they have author profiles, they have these books are published. They're part of the on-demand publishing platform, another technology that's enabling this. So they haven't published all of these books. If you order it, it will be published. And that's so it'll be printed when you order it. Exactly. That's something that's been facilitated by Amazon for a long time through its yeah. self-publishing platform. So that's another kind of technology element that's enabled this. They also appear to have bought reviews because there is a marketplace in buying reviews uh, for platforms such as Amazon. They do try to detect these reviews and take them down. But it does look, there's a lot of suspicious reviews on these. They all have either five stars or one star. Yeah, and we were talking uh, uh, earlier in the programme about how to spot a bogus review and one of the clues is five star all the way. Yeah, if, if, if there's a really big spread, if there's all fives and, all, and then all ones and there's nothing in between, that's definitely a red flag. And if all of the one star reviews say specific things that were annoying to the user, that's a clue that they are genuine. Mm. And if the five stars are a bit broad and unspecific, um, then you, I would be very suspicious. Now, um, what's the latest on the spat between uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk? I mean, we know about the launch of Threads. We don't have it here yet. Uh, Hopefully we will. Uh, And meanwhile, Twitter is now X. Twitter is now X, yes. And even before the X rebrand and just around the time that Threads was launching, there was talk of this um, cage fight between the two billionaires. uh, Now, do we know how fit either happens to be? I mean... Well, Mark Zuckerberg is, is a person who actually has shared his fitness journey, uh, like what a lot of people do on Instagram, one of the platforms that uh, his company owns. And he uh, he has jiu-jitsu medals. He has competed uh, 
in jiu-jitsu tournaments. Uh, he does a training program that involves wearing a weighted vest and uh, like running a lot. Clearly, don't exercise a lot. I don't even know the terms here. He'll do a lot of running and uh, exercises wearing a weighted vest and he'll do that in a crunch amount of time. It's something developed by a Marine. So he is someone who has publicly been talking about his fitness levels and sharing that journey online. Uh, Elon Musk kind of famously not that interested in fitness and, and health and stuff like that. But he did tweet sometime around midnight over the weekend that uh, he's been lifting weights in preparation for the match. But it's really just to stir up, get his name in the papers again. He gets uh, a lot of attention when he sends any of these tweets. It's all taken seriously, but they just read to me like the musings of someone yeah. just having a laugh. And what's the latest from the States in terms of the success of Threads so far? I mean, now we have uh, Truth Social, uh, Donald Trump's own platform. We have Twitter Now X and we have Threads. Threads quite a good name for... Uh, I mean, Twitter was a, a kind of a novel name at the time yeah. and we all got used to it and the idea of a tweet went into the language so people might still be tweeting on Threads when the time comes. How is Threads yeah. doing? Well, people are still tweeting on X. That's the funny thing. And it's still, domain is still twitter.com. X.com will just redirect you there. Um, so that's going to be a really tough brand shift that they're going to go through. Threads is a very clever name and it's borrowed from the language of social media. Again, that, that language is pretty much generated by the users. So you threaded tweets together originally to kind of make a longer post yeah. because there was a character limit. So Threads has borrowed that language from the users. Um, and what I'd like to see more from Threads is kind of taking the lead of users, but they are just seem to try to engineer the perfect competitor to 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 Twitter, uh, X or whatever we're calling it now. Um, and that, that that is actually what the real struggle is because social media platforms have developed organically through their users. You know, even the idea of retweets and even the ideas of like likes and things like that. These are all things that are actually generated by users and then the platform build, builds them in to serve the users. But Threads is trying to kind of skip all of those steps and just develop one of the world's biggest social media platforms overnight. They did get tremendous growth at the start. They're suffering with the engagement, but when you had 100 million users sign up in a matter yeah, of days... You're going to get critical mass. You are, and, and, but you're also going to get a drop-off because the, the, the site wasn't actually really fully functional. They're still introducing okay. features like direct messaging and likes and being able to track still, trending they know topics. there's demand. So Absolutely. they will probably continue to plough money into it. Um, question, I have a Xiaomi Note 10 phone having changed from Huawei. There are constant ads popping up every single time I use Google to look up something or read an article. How do I stop these unwanted ads? Nothing to do with the phone, I would It's suspect. definitely to do with Google. Uh, Google has really gone hard on uh, kind of pushing its commercial tools into its search functionality. Uh, I myself am quite uh, just like just not enjoying the Google experience while they're doing that. Um, so if you go into your actual Google account settings and look at your privacy settings, change things like ad personalization and all that kind of stuff, it should limit the amount of ads that are being pushed yeah. into your Is feed. it any better on Bing or... Uh, I, I still do use Google. That's the thing because it is still a very good search engine. I just find I have to scroll down further to get to the organic results. Mm. That's the problem. Uh, someone else asks, can you recommend a wi- provi- Wi-Fi provider reasonably priced? I presume they're talking about broadband with um, maybe a Wi-Fi uh, unit. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? That actually really depends on where you are because you want to make sure that your provider has good reviews in your area. And in Ireland, there's there's actual black spots in Ireland. Um, so what I actually do is go to a site like bonkers.ie and look at comparative uh, like reviews and stuff like that. That's they where have, to go. They're brilliant at their recommendations. There. All right. Elaine Burke, a tech journalist and host of the For Tech's Sake podcast. Uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.